Now, last week we started a new series that we're doing through Psalm 112, and I happen to mention that Psalm 112 is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, and I, I, I do mean it. It's a portion of Scripture that really shows us what it looks like to have character that's anchored in the Lord Himself, to have an unshakable character where we realize that we can become enthusiastic for God's ways in the midst of a world that just wants its own way. And we see a completely different perspective as the Lord gives us eyes to see these things. And as we're working our way through Psalm 112, you're going to see a lot of things that I think I would describe in many respects as countercultural, because it shows you what it looks like when your mind is not set on, the, on just the, the, the things that this world tends to think are important. It shows us what's important in the Lord's eyes. It shows us what's important in the Lord's economy. It shows us ultimately what the Lord wants us to do with our lives as we submit our lives fully over to Him. And as we're looking at different facets of what this unshakable character that the Lord can foster in our lives, what it actually looks like to be a man or woman of, of righteousness, we're seeing a variety of things here, but today as we look primarily at verse 2, we're going to see what it looks like to set up the next generation for success. Because that's something very much on the mind of someone who is in tune with what the Lord desires for his people. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 112, I'm going to read the whole psalm, and I'll do this each week as we study it, but our focus today is just going to be on verse 2 of Psalm 112. Uh, but this is what it says, starting with verse 1, I'll read verse 1 down to verse 10, it says this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that you've given to us today to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together and to just see the kind of character that you, you desire to, to be very visible in the lives of your children. You want us to be men and women who honor you. You want us to be people who put you first in all areas of our lives. You want us to be people who are not easily tossed about by the cares of this world or the allure of this world. You want us to have hearts that are firmly planted in the truth of your gospel, and you desire that we live out that truth in our day-to-day -day lives. And Lord, we pray that as we look at the second verse today of Psalm 112, as we Think about this idea of, of what it means to set up the next generation for success. We pray that we would understand these things from your perspective and that your spirit would give us wisdom and insight to, to really glean uh, the kind of counsel that we need 
from your word so that we can put it into practice and live it out. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So how curious are you about your ancestors? Do you ever think about your ancestors, the people that that came before us? Do you ever think about what they were like? Uh, Do you even know their names? This is kind of an interesting test to do. Um, You know, you probably list your parents' names and your grandparents' names, but what about your great-grandparents? Because you start to have multiple sets if you look at the numbers. And what about your your great-grandparents? Do you know their names? What about your triple great-grandparents? Do you know any of their names? There's a long list of people that were your triple great-grandparents. Do you know their names? I, I could tell you in my case, I know some of them and some of them I don't. I have a few things around my house that belong to relatives that I've never met. Just a few things around the house. One of the things you'll actually see right when you walk into our house. If you walk into our front door and you look to our left, there is a small coal stove that we basically use like an end table. It's about the size of an end table. Really, it ends up being the place where keys get set, or if you have mail, when you first walk in the house, it gets set there. If you're carrying something in, it gets set there. It's just the catch-all place just to, to set things. It was actually a coal stove that was in my grandmother's house when I was a child, and for whatever reason, I used to play with it all the time, and when she passed away, in her will, it said, give John the coal stove, and, uh, and I was actually rather excited to get it, and I got it, and I cleaned it up, and, and we don't use it to burn anything in, you know, or burn anything in it, and so I cleaned it up, I painted it up, and, and basically made it something very visible in our home, but it's neat to me when I look at that thing, because I, my understanding is that originally it belonged to my great-great-grandparents who would heat their home with it and they would cook their meals on it when they owned a farm in Northumberland County here in Pennsylvania. And uh, that was told to me. I thought that was kind of neat. And so I think about that frequently when I look at that coal stove and I think about my grandparents and how they, they had that in their house as well. And I'd love to be able to have conversations with the generations that came before me. I'm very curious about what their personalities were like. I'm very curious about what their voices happened to sound like. Um, I'd love to know what made them laugh. I'd love to know what what motivated them to to choose the kind of life that they chose. Um, But I'd also like to express my thanks to them. You know, if I had the chance to talk to them, I'd love to express my thanks to them because even though I've experienced some difficult seasons in my life, I look at their lives and I think their lives were harder. Just in general, their day-to-day life was harder than my life happens to be. When I'm tempted to complain, I often think about my great-grandfather, Joseph Lewis, who didn't even get the chance to live as long as I have had the privilege to live because he worked in a coal mine. He spent every day digging in a coal mine and then died young in a mine subsidence in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, when he was still a very young man. I don't even know if he made it into his 40s. But my life is easier because of the sacrifices that were made by the generations that preceded me. My life is better because of the sacrifices that they made. They inched our family forward, one step at a time. And I see the investments, you know, I could even think about it this way. I see the investments my parents made in my life, and then I also had the opportunity in some respect to see the investments that their parents made in their lives. And these are the type of things I frequently think about. And I have to tell you, it's my desire to set up the next generation of our family for success. My wife and I, we think about this, we talk about this a lot, and I'm not defining success and I'm not referencing success as the world 
would define it. Because if you ask the, this world in general what success looks like, it'll give you a definition. But it's not a biblical definition. But when you look at a portion of Scripture like we're studying right now, Psalm 112, we see success illustrated here in this portion of Scripture and in a variety of other places that are complementary to this passage. But more than anything, I want my children and I want the generations that come from them to know the Lord and to walk with Him closely. I want them to prioritize the Word of God. I want them to prioritize the desires of God's heart. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And then it's my prayer that they will invest those things in their children and in their grandchildren and in the the generations that come after them. This is the aim of those who revere and respect the Lord. And when the psalmist, when you look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, when the psalmist tells us about the man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments... He also makes it very clear that walking with the Lord in this manner will have a generational impact. It's not just for the person doing it. It has a generational impact. And the way he phrases it, let me bring up onto the screen Psalm 112, verse 2. It says it this way. It says, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Those who prioritize the desires of the Lord are basically, what are they doing? They're setting up their children for success. Again, not as the world defines it, but as the Lord defines it. Now, the scripture here describes the children of the righteous person. And if the righteous man's children are mighty in the land, when it uses that kind of phraseology, when it speaks of the righteous man's children being like that, that conveys that they will have their act together. So, following along this line here, you know, it very well may mean that they may be prominent or respected among their peers. Very well may be that they're the type of people that responsibility and even power gets entrusted to them. The blessing of the Lord produces great fruit in their lives in very visible ways, very obvious ways. And as they walk with the Lord just as their parents modeled for them, their lives will testify to God's goodness and their lives will testify to God's provision. These are thoughts that are all kind of wrapped up and and, uh, represented with this idea of them being mighty in the land and with them being blessed. And I love the idea conveyed in these verses, but I want to point something else out too, because I'm also reminded of righteous people in previous generations that had children that for whatever reason rejected the faith and rejected the wisdom of their parents. And you could probably think of plenty of contemporary examples, but you can probably also think of multiple biblical examples. One of the the more obvious biblical examples that comes to my mind when I think of that is is, uh, King Josiah. And uh, in that portion of Scripture, it reveals to us that Josiah was a man who loved the Lord. And during the course of his life, he started ruling and reigning when he was eight years old. So I don't know what kind of responsibilities were entrusted to you when you were eight, but leading a nation was not entrusted to me when I was eight. I don't know any, any of us. Um, but when he was eight years old, he was given authority to rule in Judah. And he was someone who loved the Lord, someone who led the nation of Judah in such a way that he prioritized obedience to the Scriptures. That was a theme of his reign. He was encouraging people to not make it up as they go along, but to listen to the counsel of God as he revealed it in his word. And so during the course of his life, during the course of his reign, that was the theme. 
following God's Word, listening to the voice of God. His, his heart, his own heart, was very sensitive to the Lord's leading. And you could look at his life and, you, and realize, okay, this is a guy who very much set up his children for success. But when you read the chapters in Scripture that come after Josiah's life, and it describes what happens next, what you could see is that his children embraced evil after his death. And they rejected the blessings that were being offered to them. And I mention that, I think, for two reasons. I mention that as a word of caution, but I also mention that as a word of encouragement. And I, I, I kind of mean it this way. So you may offer great blessings to the generations that come after you, and they may unfortunately reject those blessings. They may reject them temporarily because of immaturity. Sometimes we see that where people go through rough patches, and I think we could probably all think back to seasons of our life that were probably not our highlight reel. I could think to seasons of my life and say, all right, that wasn't so great. Um, and so sometimes the next generation may temporarily reject those blessings that you offer them because of immaturity. Or it's entirely possible they may reject them permanently because ultimately what they're doing is overall they're rejecting the Lord. But you can't control what somebody else does with the gifts that you give to them. You can control what gifts you give to somebody, but you can't control what they do with that gift. And I remember seeing this very vividly in the life of, of one of my friends. I have a really good friend that, uh, same age as me, we, uh, we got to know each other during college, and we've maintained a very, very good friendship ever since. And his parents were blessed with four children. They had four sons. And his father was a very wise pastor that I used to, I didn't know his father personally super well, but I knew plenty of things about him and had spent a little bit of time with him. And I would always ask uh, my friend questions about how his father handled this and how his father handled that. So there's a lot of things that are kind of foundational related even to pastoral ministry that I learned from my friend's father just by asking all of these questions. And um, the Lord blessed them. The Lord blessed my friend's father and mother with, with four children. They had four sons. One of their children, and I've watched this play out over the decades, one of their children dealt with ongoing mental illness that made for a very complicated relationship, even though, to their credit, they always kept working on it. I always appreciated seeing that. Another child completely embraced the ways of this world and rejected his parents' faith and rejected his parents' lifestyle. And uh, in the you know, almost three decades that I've, I've been acquainted with this family, I've never seen any heart of repentance from that particular son. But two of the children, they knew the Lord deeply. They respected their parents' example. They followed in their parents' footsteps. And they dedicated their lives to serving the Lord through vocations in educational leadership, one is in, and, and the other is in church ministry. And I look at that, and I think of Josiah's example as well. I think their stories are helpful reminders for parents that you can model what it means to walk with Christ, and you can give your children every single opportunity to receive the wisdom and the blessings that come with that. But in the end, just like we are, they are personally responsible with, for what they do with what has been offered to them, just as we're personally responsible for what we do with the blessings that are offered to us. We're all personally responsible for that. And so as I look at the counsel of Psalm 112, verse 2, 
my heart is filled with a particular desire. And maybe some of you felt this as I was reading these verses this week and even last week when we started looking at this. But my heart's filled with the desire personally to do everything I could possibly do to make investments in the generations of my family that will come after me. Think about that a lot just on a daily basis. I think about that a lot when I read this psalm. I regularly pray for my children, and I also I don't even have grandchildren, but I regularly pray for the grandchildren that the Lord may at some point choose to bless our family with, and the generations that may come from them. I regularly pray for them all. I, I, I seek the Lord's guidance. I ask Him for help to set them up for success. And as best as I could tell, there are several ways that I think that we can honor the Lord's heart and what this portion of Scripture is teaching while attempting to guide our children. And I'll share a few things that, that stand out to me from the overall counsel of Scripture that fits with what's being told to us here in Psalm 112. And one of the things that you, you and I can do to set up our children and our grandchildren and the generations that come after us for success, one of the things we can do is this, model the faith. Just start with that, model the faith. Years ago, I received a letter from someone that I had hired to work for me when I was directing a summer camp and conference center. And it was a very encouraging letter. I felt like it was well-timed. I felt like it was at a season where I needed a little boost of encouragement, and I felt like the Lord sent this my way to give me that encouragement. But she said some of the nicest things, and, and the crux of what she said was kind of phrased in a question. She asked me if I had ever written on the subject of leadership, because she said, I so enjoyed working for you during the years that I worked for you. And she said, now I'm in a position of leading other people. And she, was try she said she was trying to do her best to remember how I kept morale high among the staff and how I kept the staff motivated to do a good job with the various tasks in their various departments that they were doing. And uh, again, as you can imagine, reading something like that felt genuinely encouraging. I, I actually read it several times. And so I thought a lot about her question. I, I just tried to do some introspective thinking about it. I thought, okay, what did I do that contributed to high morale? What did I do that contributed to people being willing to work enthusiastically? I wanted to give her a genuine answer that would help her with her leadership dilemma. And as best as I could tell, as I thought about it, there were two things that I could think of that contributed to the high morale and the motivated staff. One was I found ways to express appreciation. So I would look for ways to express appreciation to that group of staff members, many of which were in high school and college. Just try and find ways to let them know how appreciated they were. And then a second thing that I think was, was true of that season was I never asked them to do anything that I wasn't willing to do alongside them. So if I'm asking them to do a, a task or wash dishes or or clean a restroom, or, or any of the things that you would say are probably on the sometimes not very glorious scale of things that you do when you're trying to run a conference center in a summer camp. They didn't just see me instructing them to do it. They saw me telling them to do it and then frequently joining them in the task as they were doing it. I was hired to lead that ministry, but I didn't hesitate to get my hands dirty when it was time to serve people. And I was trying to model for them that no job was beneath the camp director. And I bring that up because when we think about this idea of modeling something, when we consider this idea of modeling the faith, I think the same principle applies to our faith. So think about the example that you have in regard to your children. 
And think about the example that your family was to you, that your parents were to you during that initial 20 years of your life that you probably lived at home and you had the opportunity to observe your parents day in and day out, living out what they claimed to believe. That can't help but have an impact on you. We impact people obviously through direct teaching, but I think oftentimes, even before we get to the teaching, what we model gives us the authority for what we eventually teach. And so modeling the faith, I think, is a, is a very important thing. I think it has a huge impact on the next generation. You remember the Apostle Paul and his relationship with Timothy. As he was mentoring Timothy and his, as he was guiding Timothy, he refers to Timothy as like a son. He, he thought of Timothy as like a son in the faith. And Paul would show Timothy many things about what it looked like to follow Christ, many things about what it looked like to preach the gospel, what it looked like to serve in leadership, what it looked like to serve people for Christ's glory. And then he also reminded Timothy of something. And by the way, Timothy had a personality that, some, that seemed somewhat timid. Tim, Timothy seemed to be the type of person who was easily intimidated by others, and yet the Lord had called him to serve in leadership. And he was also kind of young at the time when he was called to serve in leadership, and so the Apostle Paul would try and give him some encouragement and a pep talk, and he basically was saying, listen, one of the most powerful things that you can do for the benefit of those that you're leading is set an example for them. It doesn't matter, Timothy, that you're young. Set an example even though you're young. You don't have to wait till you're the most senior saint to set the example. Set the example now. Set it while you're young. And so Paul said this to Timothy. He said, listen, he said, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Set the believers an example in these areas. That's what the Lord wants us, by the way, to do as well in the context in which we have influence over the generations that come after us. The Lord invites us to set an example. That admonition that Timothy was given is the kind of admonition that you and I should take seriously as well, regardless of whatever season of life we happen to be at. Timothy was a young man when he was given that challenge, but you and I related to whatever season we're at. It's applying, it, it applies to every season of life. Set the believers an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. That's what the Lord wants us to do as we invest in those who come after us. We model the faith by setting an example. We demonstrate our love for Christ in what we believe, in what we say, in what we do, and in how we treat others, and you're always being watched. You're always being watched. The next generation is observing you. And that may be your own children, but it might not only be your own children. It might be other people's children that are observing you. Think about all the things that you've learned and things that are in your head that came to your mind and your understanding because of a life you observed even outside of your family. You can make investments in the next generation by the example that you set and not even know you're making those investments. There are people watching you that you don't even realize are watching you. So model the faith. But here's another thing that I think is helpful for us to understand. If you want to set up the next generation for success, teach the faith as well. Model it, but also teach it. You know, it's interesting. My wife and I consider the season of parenting that we're at right now, it's strange. Like, it's very weird. As your children emerge as adults, that's a weird season, is it not? Those of you that have been through the season already, that's, that's a unique season to try and adjust your, your mind to. When you realize, all right, this is a season where I have to show them respect and treat them differently and, um, and honor the fact that they are 
adults now. Three of my children will be helping to pick presidents and local you know, representatives and stuff like that. Does that scare anyone? Three of them are of voting age. I'm just letting you know. They have an impact on your life now, so steer them in the right direction. Um, but I think about that a lot, and I have to, I have to say, I, like, I'm really appreciated or really appreciative of each of them, and I'm kind of amazed at one of the things, or that multiple things, really, that I'm seeing in their lives, because I, I, I look at one, and I'm like, wow, she just excels at teaching. She's so good at teaching others. I look at another, saving lives and fighting fires. I'm like, you do that. Like, you rush into burning buildings and put the building out, and if somebody's in there, you get them out. Like, you're running toward danger. You know, the other day, I stopped by to, to visit Matt and Kara Fender. We got the chance to see their new baby, Matthew Edward. Cute kid. You done well, right? Um, and uh, when we got over there, he said, hey, can I show you something? And he brought me upstairs in their home and pointed to some of the woodwork that my next child had done. You know, I have a child who's really into woodworking. And he said, you know, and he pointed out a fine detail. He said, notice this. He said, look at how this tapers here. He's like, that's the work of a professional. Your kid did well. And I was like, okay, so that made me feel good, you know. But he did, he did really well. I have another child that she styles hair, and she does all these things. And I'm like, how do you know how to do that? Like, how, that looks legitimately good. How do you know how to do that? And I find it amazing because... I, I look at these skills and I see, you know, there's things that th their mother and I, we know that we taught them, but then there's things they know how to do that we know we had nothing to do with. We didn't even teach them that stuff. There's skills that required outside instruction for them to be able to develop proficiency in. Our faith works the same exact way, works exactly the same way. We have not been designed to figure out the nuances of our faith without outside help. The Holy Spirit, what he does is he opens up our minds to understand the truth, and then he guides the words of teachers and instructors to help us understand the counsel of the Word of God. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. He made this statement. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So if you want to pass along your faith in Christ to the generations that come after you, teach them. They will be like their teacher. Teach them. And if there are things that you feel like you don't know about the faith, this is kind of an interesting dilemma that some parents face. They feel like, I don't, like there's a lot of things I don't know. Maybe you're even a new Christian and, and you feel like you're, you're playing catch up. So you're going to wait till you have the Bible memorized before you start teaching your children? How illogical would that be? Start with what you do know. If you feel like there are things you don't know, just start with what you do know. And then when your children ask you questions, which they will do eight million times, write those questions down. And then find the answers. And you know what's going to happen? Your willingness to teach them is going to have the added benefit for you of helping you grow in your faith as well. Do you ever hear the phrase, if you ever want to learn something, volunteer to teach it? Isn't that very much what it's like when we try and teach other people the Scriptures or teach our children the Scriptures? If you want to learn the Scriptures, one of the best motivators to actually learn the Scriptures is to have someone who's waiting for you to teach them the Scriptures. 
So just start with what you know. Even if you only know a little bit, start with that little bit. And they'll help you grow because they're going to ask you questions. So So model the faith, teach the faith. Third thing I want to suggest, if you want to set up the next generation for success, like it's described in Psalm 112, act on the faith together. Act on the faith together. Having knowledge but failing to act on what you know, that's worse than ignorance because it's belligerence. If you you have knowledge and you fail to act on what you know, but when you gain knowledge that you put into practice, what it does is it produces fruit that reinforces the effectiveness of what you believe. Our faith in Christ is an active faith. It's not meant to be exclusively contemplated in isolation. It's meant to be actively utilized in the lives of other people. So when the Lord saves a person, what does he do? Scripture tells us that he equips them to serve for his glory. That's a very specific aspect of our faith in Christ. And as we serve others, the faith of those we serve is strengthened along with our faith being strengthened while we're doing the serving. That's how God has designed life and discipleship to operate inside the church. And Scripture speaks to this. We see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So we're to use these gifts that the Lord has blessed us with to serve other people for His glory. The Christian faith will become more real and less theoretical to your children when you find opportunities to act on the faith together, when you invite them to serve along with you. Demonstrate the joys of serving for Christ's glory. Invite them to join you. It takes the faith from being theoretical head knowledge to being heart knowledge that we understand how to apply with our hands. One other thing that I think is helpful if you're trying to set up the next generation for success, and that's this. Surround yourself with the faithful. Surround yourself with the faithful. Several years ago, I came across an awkward video of myself. It was very awkward. It was a video of me that was taken when I was 15 years old. How many of you would enjoy seeing a video of yourself when you're 15 years old? In fact, I was acting in the video. It was a skit that I was acting in. And so I got to watch not only me at an awkward season of life, but an awkward season of my acting skill, because I did not do a good job. And uh, and so I look at it, I'm like, oh, this is awkward on so many levels. And so I watched that, and I don't know if I was more entertained when I saw it or embarrassed by what I saw, um, but I couldn't help but notice something in particular when I watched it. And I think this really stood out to my wife as well, which made me laugh. Um, But I couldn't help but notice the way I spoke and the way I phrased what I was saying. Now, I didn't grow up here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. Anyone else here grow up in northeastern Pennsylvania? All right, a couple of us, so I'm not the only one. And if you don't believe me, check this out online. Northeastern Pennsylvania has its own language. I realize it's only two and a half hours north of here, but where I grew up, we had our own language. We had our own words for things and our own way of saying things. And I remember when I went to college down here in this area, discovering that not everybody spoke the way I spoke. And sometimes I would say things or pronounce things in such a way that people would look at me and say, that's really odd. (laughs) 
How did you get into this place? Be like, it was a written thing. I didn't have to say anything. I just had to write it out. Um, but I, I was listening to myself, and I could hear how I spoke, and I could hear just the phrases and the words I chose to use, and I could tell something about that video in just what I was hearing and what I was saying. And it, it showed just how completely influenced I happened to be by where I lived and the people that I spent the most time with at that season of my life. I could hear even specific phrases that I remembered where I learned that phrase. So I was trying to act in front of a group of people. I remember where I learned that phrase or how I learned to speak in, in that way. Completely influenced by where I was and the people I spent the most time with. It was unmistakable to me the second that I heard it. The people we surround ourselves with will absolutely have an influence on us. They, the people you surround yourself with will change your life for the good or, or the bad. That's why it's important to surround your children with those who know and love Jesus. Surround your family, surround yourself, surround your children with those who know and love Jesus. Prioritize your family's involvement with the local church. Give your children the opportunity to interact with older believers who, who have a lifetime of Christ-centered wisdom to pass along. One of my favorite things growing up in my home church was the fact that the, the older men in the church treated me like one of them. I still remember when I was, a, I think it was like, I was maybe 14 or 15, when the older men of the church, who would do different things like, like uh, distribute the communion or take the offering or, or do different things, when they started asking me to be one of them. Like, hey, John, will you help with the offering today? I was like, oh, uh, yeah, of course I will. And, uh, and I would do that, and then they would let me sometimes have coffee with them after the church. They always had coffee. There was church and then Sunday school immediately afterward is how we did it. And there was coffee in between, and I could sit with the older men and just hang out with them. And I'm thankful that most of the time when I sat with them, I didn't say much. I just listened. But I would learn so much from these guys. I'll, I'll, one other confession related to that. There is one moment where, you know those styrofoam cups that used to be more common. Now we use paper cups more often, but the styrofoam cups were kind of the most common coffee cup at the time. You ever realize how easy they are to tip? Imagine being in the older men's Bible study, following church, sitting down with your coffee, nervous because they've accepted you as one of their own, but you don't really feel like you belong yet. Guy sits down next to you with his Bible. You have your coffee in your Bible, and you tip the coffee on his Bible. True story. Did that. Did not get kicked out of the men's class. They still let me hang out with them. But here's another thing. When you look at something like that, what do you notice? That guy could have blown a stack and, uh, and really freaked out at me and got really aggressive and angry. Or he could have treated me with grace and mercy. And how did he treat me? With grace and mercy. And made sure that I knew he was okay with that. It was an accident. He knew I didn't do it on purpose. Things like that happen. You know, it's a stain in my Bible. Remind me to pray for you, John. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> It's like, mental note. And that's why I do that to everyone's Bibles now. So bring your Bible after church. Even bring your iPad if you use it digitally. I'll spill coffee on that too. <laughs> Point being, it makes a difference who you spend your time with. They will have an influence on you. And when you involve your children in, in our church family, you involve children in the local church life, you're surrounding them not just with friends their own age and peers, but they're also receiving the benefit and blessing 
of senior saints that have been walking with Christ for a long time, and they have a lot of wisdom to share. So I'm always so grateful for those of you that volunteer to help out with the children in any way, even if you just talk to them when they come in on a Sunday morning, even if you just hang out with them for a little bit because they're picking up on stuff from you, and it makes a difference, and it's how the Lord has designed the church to operate. Love what Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part, so it's describing the local church, it says when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Lord describes in His Word, as He gave the Apostle Paul the words to write these things down, the inspiration to write these things down, describes what a healthy body looks like when it's operating. What happens? The church keeps following the Lord. The church keeps serving one another, each person doing their part, using the gifts that the Lord's given. And then the church is built up in love as each person does its thing. And then you have the next generation set up for success because the generation that came before them passed on the faith to them. That's the type of thing being described in Psalm 112, and it's something that I think is worth valuing. You know, there are all kinds of things that you and I are going to spend our time during the course of our life doing, but few things are going to make a lasting impact like our decision to set up the next generation for success. It's an impact that outlives your natural life. There are things that you teach and things that you pass on that outlive you. And so let me just say this maybe as a prayer for us all or or an admonition for us all. But like this scripture says, may your offspring be mighty in the land. May they be mighty in the land. And by God's grace, may they be a generation that welcomes the Lord's blessing and serves him wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this today and to think about the things that we see in this portion of your word. Lord, it's wonderful to to be able to come before you and thank you for the investment that was made in us by the generations that preceded us. We could point to family members that were a blessing to us. We could think of older Christians that were willing to take time for us and invest in our lives or even just treat us with respect that maybe we didn't yet feel like we deserved at an early season of life, and yet they treated us like we were one of them. Lord, we pray that that would be something that we as a local church prioritize. We pray, Lord, that that every child that's part of this church would truly feel valued and appreciated and invested in by the generations that are older than them, that they wouldn't feel in the way, that they wouldn't feel like a nuisance, that if they goof something up, that that they wouldn't feel like like people are going to lose their minds about it, but that rather we would look at that and just say, what a blessing it is, what a privilege it is to to see so many young people just get up and, and, and walk to their classes and be part of worship with their, their, their families and, and learn things as their teachers instruct them and then fellowship together after the worship service and by your grace grow into men and women who know you and love you deeply. And we're just grateful, Lord, that you give us the chance to be a part of that as part of the local church, but also in our households, Lord. We pray for our children. We pray that they would be just a mighty generation in this land. 
We pray, Lord, that they would know you and that they would love you and that they would follow you. We pray that your hand of blessing would be upon them and that they would not reject the blessings that you're offering them or the counsel or the wisdom that they've received or seen modeled from their parents. Lord, we pray that they would accept these things, and by your grace, we pray that it would be on the young side of life so that they don't need to go through their lives making mistake after mistake, regret after regret, piling those things up, and then trying to claw their way back. Lord, we pray that you would just fill their hearts with your love and fill their minds with your wisdom, and that all along the way, Lord, we know that there are many things that we could be doing that that help in this process, modeling the faith, teaching the faith giving people opportunities to serve, uh, surrounding ourselves with other believers. But Lord, we also are very aware that the most powerful thing we can do is pray for the next generation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make that a discipline that, that we consider vital and something that we prioritize, that our prayer lives would be filled with just lifting up the, the next generation before you and praying that you would do mighty things in their midst and that you would draw their hearts unto you. And Lord, again, we thank you for just the unshakable life and the unshakable character that we see demonstrated in Psalm 112. And we're grateful that during the coming weeks, we just have a little time to take a look at a snippet of what that kind of life looks like. And we pray that you would dispense your wisdom to our minds and hearts as we look at these portions of Scripture from your Word and some of the things that go along with it. We're just so grateful for it all, Lord, and we're thankful for your presence with us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.